0: As you're taking your seats, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and uh, open up to the book of Acts chapter 2. Well, I can tell you that as a, uh, a pastor, one of the um, most exciting and encouraging things I get to hear, and I love to hear from people, is uh, how much they long to pursue Jesus Christ, how much they long to be like Jesus Christ. There's nothing that excites my heart more than meeting with somebody who is just on fire for the Lord and longing to be more like Jesus Christ. I love seeing people express such a deep commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. What I find oftentimes though concerning is that the same people who expressed a longing to be like Christ and a great commitment to Jesus Christ often don't understand how that commitment to Christ and how that longing to be like Christ relates to the work of the church. Those same people can express a commitment to Jesus without realizing that that is also to express a commitment to the church. Uh, Tim Keller says this, Christians commonly say that they want a relationship with Jesus, that they want to get to know Jesus better, but he says this, you will never be able to do that by yourself. You must, he says, be deeply involved in the church, in Christian community, with strong relationships of love and accountability. Only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. Uh, We need each other. God saves us into the church. Both universally and locally and personally, um, I I just want you to know I am so grateful to be a part of this church, not just as as a pastor, but as a member, Um, to be blessed as a member of the local body that is here in this place, to be partners in ministry with each one of you who have committed to the same thing. We are wrapping up this morning our series on the church, and I'm not sure if you've caught this or not, whether you've realized it or not, but over the last eight weeks, we have been um, endeavoring to make a case for church membership, for church commitment. Why? Why? Why do we believe that's necessary for us to make that case and for us to um, call people into this deeper level of commitment to the local church? Well, it's because we believe that many do not understand the church nor the biblical requirement to commit to the church. And as a result, Christians, even well meaning Christians, are struggling in their faith, in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, many. Uh, Churches are struggling to be healthy and vibrant and life-giving, and one of the things we believe here is that a deeper commitment to the local church means greater health both personally and corporately as a body of Christ. We believe it's important to revisit these ideas of commitment to the church because our culture promotes individualism. Our culture pumps at us a message of autonomy, we are bombarded on a regular basis with a message of materialism and consumerism, which makes life fundamentally about me, about my needs, about what, my, what I want. These are all things that make committing to the church very difficult. Those ideologies that the world pumps at us conflict with our understanding of biblical theology as it relates to the church. The worldly ideologies that are so often embraced by so many, even in the church, lead to a weakening, and it renders the church, in many ways, a less effective than it should be. And here's the reality. We believe this is important because we want to be a healthy people, <laughs> We want to be strong, vibrant followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be a strong, vibrant, life-giving community of faith. We want to see a church that more carefully and more helpfully displays the gospel of Jesus Christ and becomes then an attraction for people in the world. We want people to look at this community of faith and be able to say, that's what it means to know and to love God. I desperately need that. I desperately want that. We wanna be a church that is on mission, advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing lost people saved, saved people matured, and matured people multiplied all to the glory of God. This is the desire, this is the heartbeat of this church. This morning, uh, I hope to, um, if you haven't been already, persuade you about the importance of church membership. Or, if you're already persuaded and already committed in this way, I hope to spur you on in that commitment. I hope to call you to excel still more in this commitment that you have made. I hope to call some of you this morning who maybe have been on the fence or maybe simply just by way of ignorance have not known of the importance of church members to call you into church membership, to call you to a deeper level of commitment that will benefit you and benefit us as this local church, Redemption Church here in the Durham region. So let me just put this before you first. What is a church member? Uh, I'll say it like this in just this one statement. A church member is someone who has formally committed themselves to a local church through the process put in place by the leadership and is faithfully fulfilling and enjoying the responsibilities and privileges of membership. Let me say that again. A church member is someone who has formally committed themselves to a local church through the process put in place by the leadership of the church. And is faithfully fulfilling and enjoying the responsibilities and privileges of membership. So, I want to walk through that this morning by answering three questions. And this is going to be a a different kind of message this morning. It's going to be a little bit more pastoral. It's not going to be as expositional as we're maybe used to around here, but it's going to be hopefully very helpful as we string together some scriptural uh, concepts and uh, principles and verses. Three questions that are going to drive us into a deeper commitment, a committed people. That's what we're after. The first one is this. Is church membership actually biblical? That's a fair place to start. I want to kind of launch into this by reading from Acts chapter 2 and allowing us to see how church membership, especially at the onset of the church, was something that was actually assumed. Today, it's, it's less so. It's not quite assumed, and it's something that has actually t- had to take on a bit of a formal structure But in the early church, church membership was something that was readily embraced and rightly assumed. It was embraced immediately upon conversion. I want to begin and read Acts chapter 2. We looked at it briefly last week as well, but let's look at verse 37. And we're going to read down, we're going to read a substantial section, and then we're going to think a little bit about this together. Remember, this is Pentecost. Pentecost. Peter has preached the first sermon, the Spirit of God has been poured out, and uh, he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in no other name um, under heaven, and people hear this message of the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, and it says this in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and then catch this, and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I want you to notice how um, the writer of Acts, Luke, links directly into the life of the church. Right upon conversion, he goes right into the life of the church, this assumption that instantly they were added to the church, to the assembly and the gathering of believers. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple, that was where they gathered together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Is church membership biblical? There are many people who argue it's not. You can't um, give me enough evidence to prove that church membership is biblical. Now, um, I need to acknowledge this. If you're looking for one verse that declares, thou shalt be a church member, if you're looking for that verse in the Bible, it's true. You're not going to find it. There, there is no such verse. But to be fair, the Bible does not provide us with a chapter and verse proof text for everything we ought to believe. There are some things that are explicitly stated, yes, absolutely, and there are things that are obviously inferred. They're there, they're they're intended to be understood, and they're actually assumed to be understood and embraced. And if you look closely at the scriptures in the entire New Testament, specifically, I would argue, at the scriptures that we have been looking at throughout this series, you see that church membership is baked into the cake of the New Testament. It's a part of the necessary ingredients to produce the church. It is inferred, it is assumed, and therefore it is expected. I love what John Piper says in regards to this. He says this, in the New Testament, being a Christian, being baptized, belonging to the new covenant people of God, and being a member of a local church were linked together. If you tried to pull one of those out, you know, not being a Christian, or not being baptized, or not being in the new covenant people, or not a member of a local church, he says this, it would have made no sense. They belonged together. It was assumed then, that's what I would argue from the the early days of the church. It was assumed and embraced, but here and now, it is not assumed. In fact, in many ways, it's assumed that it's unimportant and unnecessary. Which is why, by the way, we go through a formal process of church membership now. It's not assumed like it used to be so. uh, We have come up with a practical application, a practical way of bringing members into the life of the church that is built upon this biblical principle. Now, we have endeavored um, over the past eight weeks to make it clear that there is an important difference between being in the universal church, that is all Christians everywhere, and belonging to the local church. The local church being a necessary expression of the universal church. You cannot have one without the other. The moment somebody was saved, they were saved into a local context, into a local assembly, a local body of believers. That is why um, when Paul writes letters um, in the New Testament, he's writing to local churches, these local expressions of the universal church. Again, this proves in one sense that the idea of the local church and membership within it is assumed and it is expected. Paul has no category for a Christian who is not a member of the local church. Yet, this idea is commonplace in our culture today. And what we see right away, even in the book of Acts, the passage that we've just read, is that believers understood the importance of this connection. They began to function in membership right away. They began to gather together at the temple in large groups. Then they began to gather in smaller units in fellowship in one another's homes. This, in many ways, is why we pattern our church of the way we do. It's patterned after what they did in Acts. We gather together, and then throughout the week, we break apart into smaller groups to enjoy fellowship and community and encouraging one another all the more until the day draws near. Both belong together. Both are aspects of what it means to be a member of the local church. Now, everything we've gone through in this series only works. Here's the argument I want to make today. Part of the argument. Everything we've looked at over the last eight weeks only works with church membership. The things that we have looked at do not work if we do not embrace this concept of official formal church membership. So here's what I want to do. I just want to review where we've been. So for some of you, you've been here the whole time. This is going to be a helpful summary of what we've gone through, and I hope this helps to kind of pull this thread of membership kind of around all of these different concepts we've looked at. For some of you, maybe you're here today for the first time. Uh, Maybe you've been here um, sporadically throughout the last seven to eight weeks. That's okay. My hope is that we're just going to really quickly recap and bring you into kind of where we've been and why this is so critical for us to understand when it comes to commitment to the local church by way of membership. So we began kicking off the series by talking about the church as a kingdom people. Pastor Brian kicked off the series in Colossians chapter 1, and in Colossians chapter 1 we were reminded that we we have been um, saved and transferred from the kingdom or domain of darkness, sorry, into the kingdom of his beloved son. So instantly, right out the gates, we saw that there is a king who is removing people from one recognized kingdom or domain and transferring them into another. There are only two kingdoms in this world. It's the kingdom of Satan, and there's the kingdom of God. And God is removing people from the kingdom of Satan, he's transferring them into the kingdom of his beloved son, And that kingdom finds its expression here and now in the local church. The embassy of the kingdom resides here. This is kingdom soil, so to speak, and it is prefiguring what is still yet to come, the final full expression of the kingdom of God when Jesus Christ will come again in person and rule and reign physically upon the earth. This here, listen, is a glimpse of that reality. It's interesting that when you think of God's kingdom, he keeps track of those who are his. There is what is called in the scriptures the Lamb's book of life. All those who God has saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of his son, their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. In a sense, you can think of that as a God's membership role in his kingdom, It's the list of those whom he has brought into his kingdom. He's keeping track. By the way, it's fascinating that when you look at the book of Acts, even right here, and you move through the early chapters of Acts, the church was beginning to keep track. Did you notice that? Uh, There is numerical recognition. They are following along as God is adding people to the church. And by the way, this is one of the evidences that there is membership. They are keeping track of people who are being added. They are counting people. They need to know who God is saving. The next message we looked at from Matthew chapter 16 and 18 and Matthew chapter 28, as we strung some things together, we saw that the church is a called people. We see that God Himself is the one who is calling people, but that God uses means to call people. That passage in Matthew chapter 16, 18, we, we saw how God looks at Peter and He says, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He gives him the keys to the kingdom, to open and close the door. He gives him the authority to bind and to loose. And we looked at that in great detail, and we saw that God has delegated his authority to representatives, to the church itself. And the calling requires that the door is flung open or flung closed. And if you'll recall with me what that means and what that looks like, it's simply this, by, by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the gospel, we proclaim that there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, we proclaim that Jesus Christ came, he lived the perfect life, he died in the place of sinners, he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death, and he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, and all those who repent of their sins and believe upon him, the door is flung open to you to enter into his kingdom, to come into the church. And for all who refuse that message, the door is shut. And we saw how the binding and loosing um, refers mainly to the laws, to the, the behavioral codes in the life of the church. Really, it's the New Testament that teaches us how to operate in the household of God, how to live and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is a called people given the authority to determine who's in and out. I want you just to hear that language. There is a boundary line drawn and an authority given to make that affirmation and determination. We believe here in what's called regenerate church membership. We believe the New Testament teaches unashamedly that you are a member of the church only if you are saved by the grace of God. We believe those people who have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ As Lord and Master and Savior who believed upon him in the gospel, they are saved, they are regenerate, they are born again, they are given the Spirit of God where they're made new creations in Christ Jesus. They're given a new heart with new desires and new affections to love him and to follow him. That is what makes up the true church. The church is a kingdom people and a called people. Then thirdly, we looked at the church as being a distinct people. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, all the way through chapter 7, verse 1, and I'll just kind of remind you that in that, um, the call um, to the church, specifically in Corinth, the local church, was, as Paul quoted from the Old Testament, to come out from their midst, from the world, from the, the ways of the world, from the idolatry of the world, from serving the gods of this world. And he says, Come out from them and be separate. You're to be a distinct people. You are to be uniquely set apart unto holiness. You are to be a people who are purged of all love of idols and love of the world so that you can be a people who love me and me alone above all things. The calling to be separate again invokes this idea of lines being drawn. There are people who are in and people who are out. There is a group of people called the church that is marked by holiness. And God wants it clear that we are to be a distinct, recognizable people by how we live, by who we're committed to. And that led us into the fourth message in this series where we looked at, in greater detail, Matthew chapter 18, where we said the church is a pure people. We can only be distinct if we are a pure people, and in Matthew chapter 18, if you recall with me, we looked kind of broadly at most of that chapter, which contains the process of church discipline, with the intended goal of restoring people back into fellowship in the body of Christ. It explained how we handle conflict with one another, how we help one another walk in holiness. And the point of that passage and that message is really to help us, as a church, guard the peace and the purity that we are to experience here in this family. And in this four step process, the language there was, was very important. The final step of this church discipline process was to tell it to the church. Now again, that implies, that statement there, tell it to the church, it implies that there is a recognized group of people being told. People who are being called upon to participate in this church discipline process, to go to that uh, sinner, the wayward sinner, and to call them to, to repentance, to lovingly and with grace try to rescue them from the fires of sin. And you see, unless we are committed members of a church, it's really difficult to see how we would practically apply this command. Not only that, in that same message, we, we linked it to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the, in, in the church in Corinth, again, that language was very, very distinct, that the, the brother who is sinning with this grievous sexual immorality, he is put out of the church. Again, implying that there is both a way in and a way out. There are people who are recognized to be in and people who are also recognized to be out. In that message, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep. And again, I just want to kind of use that imagery to remind you of what it looks like to be a member. We're given this imagery of being sheep in the fold of God. And and I love the imagery, right? The the good shepherd, like who who does not leave his 99 behind and go after the one straying sheep? That implies that he knows exactly who is going astray and exactly who the other 99 are. And this is given to the church so that they too are called to recognize who is in, who are the people that are doing well and who are the ones who are straying wayward sheep because we need to go after them. You see, it's so critical to understand that this is impossible unless we know who is identified as a part of the fold. And and that led us into the fifth message where we talked about um, a surrendered people, the church being a surrendered people from Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 17. The author of Hebrews wrote these words, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, this verse implies and infers that there are leaders, just consider this for a moment, church, there are leaders that you are called to be accountable to. That's what that, per, that verse tells us. Now, here, here's, here's the thing. In our culture, it's very common to church hop. Not just church shop. I'm good with church shopping. Look, it's it's right and good to go visit churches when you're exploring um, churches and trying to figure out where you're going to call home. You gotta church shop. You gotta go and visit. You gotta ask questions. You gotta be very careful and selective. You gotta evaluate and examine. You gotta do the hard work. I respect that. People come here and they do that. They wanna meet with me. They wanna talk with me. They wanna come to discover redemption after the service and they wanna hear about who we are. That is all right and good. The problem in our culture is this. People get used to church hopping. They jump from church to church. They show no commitment to one particular local gathering. They're in, they're out, they're doing a kind of circuit. Now, if we hop from church to church or refuse to join a church, here's the question. How will we ultimately obey this verse to submit and obey our leaders? How can you do that? It's absolutely impossible because you actually have no recognized leaders in your life. You have made that very clear. In fact, um, interestingly, not long ago, one of our elders was meeting with an individual, trying to shepherd them out of some pretty serious sin. And when they heard a bunch of things they didn't like and they didn't want, you want to know what the response was? Well, you know what? I'm not a member. That was a statement being made to declare, I actually don't have to listen to you. You're not officially my leader. I have not submitted myself to your leadership in any formal way. And you want to know what the truth is? That was absolutely true. It's a sad reality. It was a terrible response. But it is absolutely true. And you want to know what my concern is? Is that there are many, not all, but there are many who refuse to formally, listen, become a member of a church because they do not want that kind of accountability. They want to be able to say, when they are pushed, when they are challenged, when they are confronted, when they are rebuked or corrected in their sin, they want to be able to say, you're not the boss of me. That's a very unfortunate place to be. That is an expression of not wanting to be under authority Not just the authority of the local church, but under the authority of God who has established the local church and the leadership of the church as a sweet, gracious authority in your life. It is a statement of wanting to be self-governing, of being accountable to no one, of being a Lone Ranger Christian. Not only is this unhealthy, it is actually unbiblical, And here's what this verse forces us to consider. Who am I going to be held accountable to? Who will I submit to and obey? You want to know what this verse also tells us? And this specifically relates to to the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. This verse helps me as the pastor and us as elders understand who are we accountable for. Like, that's a fair question, isn't it? Like, who, who, like this, I, I take that verse incredibly seriously. I will stand before the Lord and give an account for people's souls. God is going to look at me one day and the elders of this church and say, how did you do in shepherding the people I entrusted to your care? How did you do, Ian? And if my answer is, I'm not sure, I don't really know who was entrusted to me. That's not gonna fly with God. There's no premium on ignorance with God. And this verse helps us understand who ultimately we're accountable for, right? Here's the question. Am am, am I, as a pastor, accountable for um, every Christian who just walks in this door on a Sunday morning? Am I accountable for them before the Lord? Am I accountable for the Christians um, who are attending a whippy Christian uh, on the corner Um, or another church down the road or another church across the world? Am I accountable for those people? You know what the answer is? No, no. So, so it's imperative that we know who we're accountable for as leaders and who we're not. And the answer is this, church membership. People who have committed themselves to our care and trusted themselves to our care and people whom we, in turn, have committed care to and entrusted ourselves to for their growth and for their development and health before the Lord. 1 Peter 5 makes this abundantly clear, where Peter says to the elders to shepherd the flock of God, listen, among you. We are to care for specific people, those who have committed to this local church through membership. We then looked at what it means to be a mobilized people, the church, a mobilized people. We looked at the entire chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 3, And we broke that down into its kind of sections, uh, elders, deacons, and then um, the church or or the family or members or the congregation. And what we saw there was that God had actually um, given to us um, institutional organization, structure that is given to the church. And this, by the way, infers this need for membership. You can't mobilize and organize what you don't know and who have not been committed The verse implies that we know who are the elders, who are the deacons, and therefore, who are the rest of the church. Specific people called to lead specific churches, specific people called to be truly known like this passage requires. This suggests to us, infers for us, a clear commitment to the local church There is lots more evidence of this kind of thinking and and language in the New Testament. One other quick example, 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 all the way through 15. In in this text, it gives us the criteria for who would qualify as a widow that will receive care from the church. There's a, a widow's enrollment, so to speak, and the verse in 1 Timothy 5 9 says this Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. My point is simply this they knew how to evaluate who was in their church. And in fact, they were creating sublists of people within their church who were actively a part of their local family and met certain criteria. The local church in Ephesus and every church thereafter was called to be organized, mobilized healthy structure which only works with healthy commitment through membership. And then we looked at what it means to be a contributing people, a contributing people. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, which was a powerful reminder that the church needs to be a people who are committed because each person has been uniquely called into this family gifted by God and placed specifically into the church for its greater good. The person who is not committed and serving the body, um, therefore, is not being used in the way that God intended. You say, what happens if I don't use my spiritual gifts and I don't serve the body? Here's what happens. You spiritually shrivel. You will. It's it's inevitable. If you're not serving in the church, you need to understand this. You can be doing a lot of other good things spiritually, but if you remove this piece, you will spiritually shrivel because everything else you're doing in your spiritual life becomes primarily about you. Serving the body is a perpetual reminder that it's not just about you. And stripping self-centeredness and self-obsession out of the picture always leads to greater growth. Always. Always. Getting your mind off of self, putting it back on Jesus, and putting it on others is the sweet picture of the gospel that leads to greater gospel growth. Here's what also happens if you're not serving in the body. The entire body suffers. We're weaker because of it. We're, we're, we're less equipped because you won't participate. We're not as healthy as we could be. We're less mature because you're not being used in the way God has designed you to to help build up the body of Christ towards maturity. And that led us into last week, finally um, looking at the church as a visible people. Looking at the two ordinances that have been given by God, ordinances simply means ordained by God, two practices ordained by God himself. Romans chapter 6, we looked at baptism, the entrance into the body of Christ, into a relationship with God, and then 1 Corinthians 11, this ongoing maintenance of our relationship and fellowship with one another and with the God who saved us. We saw how these ordinances make the gospel visible, but they also make us visible and they make our God visible to the world. And we looked in depth last week on how God wants to make it clear who is in and who is out. He's given visible signs to make this clear. And by the way, it's more, like, more than likely that baptism in the early church was actually tied directly to the understanding of membership, of entering into the family of God. That's why baptism was the immediate response of those who were saved. That is certainly the way the early church began to function. You are saved into the church and you are also saved into a church. We are made visible to the world and to one another. Now, That's where we've looked at, and again, I would put before you that none of this can happen effectively unless we take this idea of commitment through membership very seriously. Some of you are like, well, I need more evidence. I'm still not persuaded. Okay, let me give you one more line of argumentation, okay? The metaphors for the church require it. The metaphors that are used to describe the church, to paint a picture of what the church is, they require this understanding of membership. You see, the Bible doesn't simply command us to join a church, it actually helps to shape our identity as members by giving us some powerful pictures that explain the very nature of the church. I just want to address three powerful metaphors portraying the church and its members, of first as a body, then as a family, and then as a temple. We'll just go over this very quickly. These metaphors, they strip away our sinful inclination to individualism, to self-sufficiency, and to pride. So as you consider these metaphors as part of the argument for church membership... Let them force you to ask, um, if you're already a committed member and if you're already on board with membership, you're like, this doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. Let these pictures, these metaphors force you to ask these questions. Does my membership look like that? Am I really committed like that? You see, these metaphors show us that membership is more than about having our name on a piece of paper, more than being on on a membership roll. Being a church member shapes how we choose to live. It is about belonging and about our behaving. So first, let's just look at this quickly. The church is a body. The church is a body. Um, Pastor Brian looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just put this verse on the screen, uh, a reminder of this metaphor. Um, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of of it. Now just kind of lock that verse into your mind for a moment. You see, a Christian is like, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you go through the entire passage, um, it describes the body and members of the body, and it describes a Christian like a hand or a foot or a toe. And you can, you can kind of expand this metaphor to include other aspects of the body, like an artery or a kidney or any other part that you can think of. You see, we're only healthy and useful if we're in the body. Every part is absolutely necessary. If you look at this analogy, that's so much of what Paul is trying to say. And the metaphor helps us understand the danger of not being in the body. We all get this, right? How healthy is a detached limb or a removed organ? Take it out of the body, leave it by itself, what happens to it? Dies. What happens to the body when it's missing one of these things? Significantly hindered and hurt. You see, our health is dependent upon us being together. And when we talk about membership, it's helpful to see that this isn't a term. By the way, some, you know, some people think, well, this is a human invention. This is not a term. Membership is not a term that pastors invented. Paul did. Five times in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses this word, a member of the body. And this does not speak in this context about being a member of the universal church. This is speaking specifically about what it means to be a member of a local church, a committed member in the body of Christ. To be a member is to be vitally connected and truly committed, so much so that as Paul describes this picture of the body, he reminds us that this this vital connection means that we also um, experience so much of what one another experiences. The joys and sufferings of others become our joys and sufferings. It implies that we are doing life faithfully in community together, members composed of one body second metaphor is the, the metaphor of the church as a family. The church is a family. Both Paul and Peter call the church God's household. That's another term for family. In fact, we looked at this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll just throw the verse up on the screen just to remind you. Here's how Paul refers to the church. He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So just think about it for a moment. What are families made up of? Hopefully you got the word, right? Members. A family member isn't just a name on a piece of paper. It's not just a birth certificate or a marriage certificate that's filed away in a drawer upstairs in your closet. It's a network of relationships and obligations. Relationships and obligations where we do things like share meals together, celebrate together, pray together, learn together, worship together, mourn together, rejoice together, make decisions together, do life together, lead together, follow together, serve together, care together. You see, the church is a family and we are intended to function like one. It's a call to a way of life, not just a call to put your name on a list. Like, by the way, being a husband and a dad shapes my life and my priorities, so too does being a church member. Regularly attending a local church but not joining a church, listen, it is like frequently visiting a neighbor's house. You may enjoy the occasional fellowship, but you're not a part of the family. By the way, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.10 makes a distinction between how we respond to people in our own local church and even uh, those outside of our church, even other Christians. He he says to the the Galatian church in Galatians 6.10 that we are to love our neighbors, especially those in the household of God. There is a special kind of relationship, a special kind of love, a special kind of commitment that is required in being a part of the local church. So how do we know who belongs to the household of faith? The answer is what we've been getting at, isn't it? It's committed church membership. That's how we know. The process gives us the opportunity to share our testimonies with one another, to share the experience of our baptism story with one another, or to be baptized and to share that with the church family, to be affirmed by brothers and sisters in Christ together in one family. Finally, the church is a temple. The church is a temple. Paul calls the church the temple of God. Multiple places we can go to in the New Testament, but just look at this verse for a second. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, Paul says this, do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, he is speaking not individually here. He is speaking corporately. He is speaking in the plural. Do you, that's plural, not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Again, plural. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Peter picks up on on the um, analogy or the, the typology of the temple for the church, and he calls Christians living stones that build up a spiritual house. As a fulfillment of the temple in the Old Testament, Jesus, listen, he pours out his spirit on the church. And the local church is now the dwelling place of God. God dwells here in our midst. When we gather together, there is a unique spiritual experience that's taking place. There is a unique way in which God manifests his presence in our midst. As we gather like this, we are living stones uniquely placed by Jesus into the church that he is building being built up into a single spiritual temple in this location. A stone, if you just think about that analogy, a stone, a living stone, a stone is a committed and critical piece of the structure. As Jesus is building his church, every stone is put in its proper place. It is fit in snugly. It is sealed by mortar or whatever else they used back then. an uncommitted stone, a stone that is just loosely put in place that doesn't seem like it fits. That impacts the health and the integrity of the structure. You can't build upon an uncommitted stone. You see, church membership is biblical, which means this, it's expected of every single follower of Jesus Christ. But instead of commanding Christians to join a church, the Bible portrays the Christian life in such a way that it can never be separated from the church. The biblical metaphors for the church show that membership means having a vital connection into a local congregation, one that shapes our lives and our commitments. And that leads us finally to two quick questions to end with. We're going to wrap it up with two quick questions that really are going to serve more as practical applications for this. If you're following me and you're like, okay, I see that membership is biblical, I see that this is what is expected, then you should be asking yourself two questions. The first question is this. Okay, what are the responsibilities of a member, right? Fair enough. That's a very important question. If I am going to commit myself to the local church and they're gonna commit themselves to me, what are the responsibilities that I am willingly and joyfully taking upon myself? Well, look, essentially, to commit to the local church through membership, is to commit to everything that we've just been talking about and to do it. Now, I understand we've kind of hit on a lot of things somewhat loosely. They've kind of been sitting out there maybe for you. So what I want to do is just kind of pull some things together in a bullet point fashion. And I just want to hit some of the commitments um, of a member to the local church. What we're committing to together. um, This is what we're agreeing to Here's the responsibilities. Let me just kind of knock them out. By the way, this is this could be expanded. Some of these form buckets that you can fit other things under, um, but I I hope it kind of hits the spectrum of what we need to understand. The first is this: we are committing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Especially when you commit to the local church here, you have to understand that we believe so strongly in the lordship of Jesus Christ. It goes back to the very first message: we believe Jesus is King. We believe he rules and reigns. We believe he is Lord. We believe he is master. We believe we are required then as we are saved by his grace, we are saved as servants of his. He is our Lord, which means this, we submit to him in everything, amen? Okay, that's the first commitment. If you lose that, you lose everything. Nothing else matters unless you get that one, Nothing. And, and naturally, kind of flowing out of that is this idea um, you or we are committing to the authority of God's word. We believe that the king speaks to us by his spirit and through his word. He is not silent. He has made clear who he is. He has made clear who we are. He has made clear who we are to be and how we are to be it. He gives us everything we need, Peter says, for life and godliness, Everything we need, found right here, the Word of God is at the heart of everything we do because it is the place where we go to to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a call to a life of obedience. You're committing. We're committing. We're committing to be an obedient people, to live lives as an act of worship unto God, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The next thing we're committing to corporately together is this, to proclaim Christ, the proclamation of Christ. We believe we are saved for a reason, and that is not to keep silent about the God who has saved us and about the gospel we believe. You say, well, is this just for some people um, to proclaim the gospel? No, it is for everybody. Well, do I actually have to use words to do this, or can I just use my life to, to witness to people? Listen, you cannot separate the idea of witness from the words of your mouth. It is both the way you live and the words you speak, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God will use by his spirit and by his grace to draw people to himself. The very first call of the church was this, and you shall be my witness. That is the call and the commitment that we are making together. The next thing here is this, that we are called together to be in submission to leadership. Again, we've looked at this, Hebrews 13, 17, to obey and to submit to your leaders. I mean, there's so many passages that deal with um, the leaders of the church and how God has graciously given them. I understand some of you have been abused by leadership in the church. I understand that leadership is not perfect. We're not talking about, about a perfect leadership. We're not saying that leadership is beyond the scope of correction and rebuke. They absolutely are. We are. But you have to recognize what the word of God says. For they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. Let the leadership do this without grumbling and complaining. For that is of no advantage to you. Don't make it hard on the leadership to lead you. Submit willingly, joyfully. The third, the fourth, the fifth. Sorry, we're going to get there. I should have numbered these. They're just bullet points in my notes too. Uh, next, the next thing is uh, uh, we are committing to our personal pursuit of Jesus. You're committing to take your walk with the Lord seriously. You're committing to pursue the Lord in your own personal spiritual disciplines. You're committing to do that faithfully. We're committing to try and give you the tools to do that. That's why we're doing what we're doing, by the way, in small groups. We wanna help you do this better. We wanna see you thrive personally in your walk with the Lord. We wanna see your ability to know the word, to handle the word, to love the word, to obey the word, grow and grow and grow so that you are a Christian who is feeding themselves regularly, daily on the word of God God on the means of grace through prayer through meditation on the scriptures through the memorization of scriptures through all the means of grace that God has given us our personal pursuit of Jesus should be the echo of the apostle paul in philippians 3 that i may know him the next thing that we are committing to together is to be a community that pursues jesus not just personally but corporately, in community, that we're committing to do this together in the context of relationship. As we saw in Acts chapter two, the believers understood this right away. They couldn't do this on their own. They needed to to get together often. They needed to be in the word together. They needed to do church together, life together. They needed to pursue Jesus together. This happens in, in a couple different contexts, but the main context is like this right here. It is so awesome to be preaching this message and to see this place full, by the way. Because the word of God says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen to this, Hebrews 10, 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can I just tell you, I mean, I I, I sat here, I I just, that final song that we sang, first of all, the worship this morning was just incredible. And to sit on the front row and to hear the voices of you singing behind me, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, in that moment, I was so blessed that I was here with you, not neglecting to meet together with you because the encouragement that took place in that moment for my heart and for my soul was beyond what I can describe to you with words. It is so sweet to be together and this is the way God designed it and if you like being alone more than you like being with the body of Christ, I've said this before and let me say it again, you are not gonna like heaven very much at all. Can I just say that we are required by God for the good of our souls to have a regular, consistent church attendance, okay? That's not saying you can't miss church. Don't hear that but for the good of our souls, for the encouragement, because the day is drawing near. We need to be exhorted and encouraged. We need to be reminded of what's true. We need to be reminded when we're down and when life is hard and when we're suffering that there are people who love us and care for us, that the word of God is true for us, that the spirit of God can meet with us. We need that desperately. And God says, great, I've given you what you need as you gather together in the body of Christ. Don't neglect it. Joyfully come to it, even when it's hard, make it there. And can I just add this? I think that this is what was intended in the scripture, but I think we should maybe add this. Um, Can we add not just regular attendance, but regular on-time church attendance? I say that tongue-in-cheek, but let me just take a pastoral moment for a second to encourage you and exhort you in the Lord. Listen, it was, it was, I, was, I was actually going to take a picture this morning of what the church looked like when we started, and then put it up on the screen, and then take a picture of what it looks like now and show you, but there were way too many people here for me to do that this morning when we started. It's like, what's going on? The Lord's already answering my prayers. Listen, I understand there are exceptions. I get this. Um, this, this I, it's hard sometimes to make it sure Things happen. I get, but listen, can I just encourage you? If it's happening consistently as a pattern in your life, there's a problem in your life. You can make it to work every day on time. I, I hope. That's why you still have a job. You can get your skid kids to school on time every day. Why is it so hard to commit to getting to the church on time? And you're like, well... You're just saying that because you work for the church. No, I'm, I'm, yes, yes, true. But I'm saying that, listen, I, I'm saying that out of love for you. It, it, it honestly, I, I get to be here every, I get to sit through this twice every day. Some of you like, oh, that's terrible. I'm like, no, it's awesome. Not the preaching part, the worship part mainly. L- listen, I, I mean this sincerely. If you're showing up late regularly, you're missing crucial parts of what it means to fellowship in the body of Christ. It is not insignificant to miss two or three songs of worship, it's not insignificant. Your heart is being primed to hear the word of God. God wants your praise with the people of God. Do you know that? He loves it. He longs for it. It brings joy to the heart of God. And we are blessed because of it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, about being blessed by the worship this morning, because you weren't here for it yet. Like, I want you here. I want you to experience it. It's so awesome. So, all right, enough about that. You're like, please move on. All right, here's what else we're committing to, discipleship. By the way, for the 10 of you who show up faithfully on time, thank you. I know this for sure. The worship team appreciates it, okay? They suffer the most. You know what it's like to stand up in front of everybody and say, okay, come on, everybody, let's stand and worship together, and there's 10 people? It's hard. We're committing to discipleship. Again, this goes back to the regular meeting and fellowship with one another to actively engage in discipleship relationships. For us in this context, it means primarily in our small group ministry. This is where uh, discipleship primarily happens. It's not the only place. But it's one of the key places. You're agreeing to say, I will be a part of the discipleship process in the life of this church. I will gladly, willfully, joyfully participate so that I can grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. The the next thing you're, um, I keep wanting to say third thing. The next thing you are committing to is this, the discipline process. You're like, well, that's why I'm not becoming a member. (laughs) You need to rethink that. Um, Here's the responsibility of members. You agree to participate in winning others back to Jesus Christ when they're straying and you agree, listen, this is very important, you need to understand this, when you become a member here, here's what you're agreeing to, you're agreeing to allow the body of Christ to pursue you if you are the straying sheep. You're agreeing to it for the good of your soul and you would do well to embrace that as an act of God's kindness and grace in your life and not resist it and flee from it. Three more really quickly. You're committing to serving. You're committing to serving. With the gifts that God has given to you and where there's a need. You are saying, I will serve this body of believers, this local church. You see, a family does the jobs that need to be done, okay? This is true in my house, I hope it's true in yours. Not always the jobs that we want to do. Because some of you, well, you say, why do you say that? Well, some of you are on the fence about serving, and you're simply going, like, ah, I'll serve where I'm gifted. If that's your mentality, you just significantly limited the way you can serve the body of Christ. We encourage you, serve where you're gifted. But we also need to say to one another, listen, when there's a need, we need to meet it. We need to get after it. And and too often, listen, so, so many of you are serving so faithfully. There are, let me just say this very clearly. There are way too many of you doing way too much and way too many of you doing way too little. And the balance is not proportional, okay? It's not. Some of you are burning out. You need, the rest of you who aren't serving, just hear this as a gentle and loving rebuke. There are people who are burning out because they're serving in four or five different ministries. They're nonstop on the go for this church, for you, serving you, loving you, caring for you. There are people who get here super early and you say, where are the greatest needs in the life of this church? Right now, let me just be very, very clear of this right now. Right now, setup and teardown is one of the greatest needs we have in the life of this church, there are people who are getting here and slugging away. Set, listen, we wouldn't do this. We couldn't do this if it wasn't for them. We wouldn't have a place to come and sit and worship. And, and I just need to encourage some of you. You need to step, there's a need. You're like, well, I'm not gifted in setting up chairs. Nobody is. Okay? <laughs> but you're we needed. You're absolutely needed. So if you're able-bodied human being, you should be thinking to myself, okay, maybe I should serve. I, I guess I have a responsibility. If you're a member of this church and you're not serving, listen, you're not fulfilling your obligations to the body of Christ, and you need to start jumping in and doing that. Here's the second place we need help. You know what I'm going to say, aren't you? I don't even say it. Go down to the hallway down there and sign up. Get involved. If you have kids in there and you've never served in the children's ministry, can I just say to you, now is the time to start. Now, I'm dead serious. You're like, well, I'm a man. Good. We need men to serve there. Now, if everybody who had kids in the children's ministry committed to serving, guess what? You'd be serving maybe once a month. (laughs) But because so few people are serving, man, we have people serving so frequently. There's people who are missing service. That's not okay. Would we agree with that? That's not okay. Okay. We need to serve one another. We need to relieve some people who have been so faithful for so long. If you're not involved, you need to get involved. And here's an, another way, last, second last way, uh, giving. You're committing to give and to financially support the work of the ministry in this church. You're committed to, to give a portion of what God has given to you. And here's what the Bible calls you, generous, sacrificial, cheerful giving. All of us are called to give and participate. I'm so grateful for the way that so many of you are stepping up and meeting the needs of this church and also the way that you've responded to the the Yash call uh, to give there. By the way, that's still open. We still need more money. They still need more money. Give faithfully and generously and reap what you sow. See how the Lord blesses as you give, even sometimes beyond what you think you can give, trusting the Lord and giving because God first gave himself to you. Here's the last thing you're committing to pray. To pray. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, following the passage on obeying and submitting to your leaders, you want to know what it says to the church family? It says, and pray for them. Pray. Not just for the leaders. By the way, Um, We need men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer, 1 Thessalonians says. We need men to set the pace in this, and we need women who are going to come alongside and continue to pray and get on their face before the Lord. You should be a praying people, and let me just encourage you, not just personally but corporately, if you're a member of this church, you should be making every effort to get out to our corporate prayer meetings. This isn't making it law, this is just simply making it a sweet and incredible responsibility that God has given you, to gather with the people of God, to petition Him together, and to see God work in power. All right, Ian, you said you had two final questions. I do. So you have the responsibilities, hopefully that's clear, what it means to be a member. Here's the next question, what are the rights of members? You're like... Okay, I get I have responsibilities. What do I get out of this deal, right? And by the way, there's a lot of people when they come into membership, that's the first question they ask. Okay, what, what's in it for me? Now, that should be a flag to you, okay? If instantly you're thinking what's in it for me, that's a little bit of a flag. But you know what, there's truth. There is a rights and privileges, benefits of being a member of the body of Christ. And so I wanna encourage you with that. You don't just have responsibility. You have blessings and privileges of being a part of the body of Christ. So I'm gonna put up a list and I want you to see what those privileges and rights are. Go. Amen. Here's the problem. So often we look at the responsibilities of membership as simply a duty, and we do them with drudgery in our hearts instead of seeing these things as a gift from God and a privilege and a blessing to be a part of. So church, you get to. You are privileged to bow the knee under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You are getting to and allowed to by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to submit yourselves to the authority of God's word. You get to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get to submit to people who are gonna care for you and lovingly shepherd your soul. You get to personally grow in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. You get the blessing and privilege of being a part of a community who is gonna spur you on to love and good deeds and to further pursue Jesus Christ. You get the privilege and blessings of being a disciple relationships that are going to sharpen you just like iron sharpens iron. You get the best privilege of all to be disciplined in the gracious way that God has allowed if you are straying and walking off the path of righteousness. God lovingly calls you back on to the path. You get the privilege of serving in the local church, of using the gifts that God has given you, of believing and practicing that it is better to give than it is to receive. You get the gift of giving financially to the work of the gospel and the kingdom of God. You get the privilege of of praying and uniting your hearts with the people of God to the very will of God, to see the plan of God unfold in your very midst. It's a privilege and a blessing. There are too many people, if I can use one more analogy, who don't understand that being a committed member of the church is kind of like marriage. Marriage is formalized, it's a covenant relationship, it's serious, and there are too many people, maybe some of you, who are simply dating the church. And if you're dating the church, just simply to check it out, to figure out if it's the one you want to marry, then great. Come to discover redemption after the service, okay? But if you're dating the church because you're fearful of committing to the church, it's time to stop. It's not okay to perpetually keep dating without any intention of actually getting married. Some of you are engaged to the church. You are maybe an attendee who doesn't really want to commit, or you've never known you should commit. Maybe out of ignorance, you haven't understood um, that you're supposed to commit, and for that we have a ton of grace. But for some of you, you're a regular attendee, and you're just refusing um, to actually submit to the leadership of the church and submit to this idea of, formal membership. Maybe even this morning you consider yourself a member even though you aren't formally. Let me clear that up for you. You're not. You're actually um, like the person who is living with their partner and thinking that it's the same thing as being married. In other words, you want all the benefits of marriage without any of the responsibility and accountability. That's not a sign, and by the way, this is the same in that marriage relationship, that, that spousal relationship, it's, it's not a sign of your love for the church, it's more of a sign of a lack of love for the church. It's a sign of your love for yourself and your own autonomy. You're leaving yourself an easy out. You say, well, can I ever leave if I'm a member? Yeah, absolutely. There's a right way to do that. There's a way that honors the Lord and honors the church family to do that. Yes, you, you absolutely can, so don't push the analogy too far. There are good reasons to leave a church, but it should be done well. And it shouldn't be easy, by the way, to leave a church emotionally, relationally. You see, the piece of paper in marriage matters, and so it does too when we think of church membership. Making it formal matters, it is a declaration. I am committed, I am all in. This is my family, this is my body, this is my church. And so we have a process whereby we formalize church membership where we make this public and we make it official. Where you commit to us and we commit to you, we covenant together. And if you haven't done this, you right now are not an official member of this church. That's okay, but we wanna be very clear, we hope you will change your mind and we hope you will commit to this church through membership.